Welcome to this, our first real episode of Delta Flyer. I'm your host, Thad Haight. I'm your co-host. Number one, as it were, Stuart Hollis. Mm. This week, we are not going to talk about an episode of Star Trek Voyager. <gasps> We're off topic already, and it's the first episode. Wow. So, when Voyager was coming out, it didn't just appear out of nowhere. The people who worked for Paramount knew that when TNG ended, they were going to bring up another Star Trek show. So they sowed the seeds for it in a few episodes of TNG and DS9 to get ready for Voyager. And this week, we're going to talk about those episodes. I watched them, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember the titles of the uh, TNG episodes. The DS9 one's easy. It's The Maquis Parts 1 and 2. I cannot recall the titles of the TNG. Yeah. And, I mean, you can obviously tell from the DS9 episode that it's a... Like, you can tell right from the title how it sets up Voyager. Uh, uh, As for for TNG, um, two that definitely set it up are Journey's End and Preemptive Strike, which are both from the seventh season. Uh, really, Journey's End, The Maquis, Parts 1 and 2, and Preemptive Strike all are separate entries in a four-part story, really. I got that feeling. The TNG ones, obviously, because they're on a different show altogether, part of the same family, but different show. They were the most standalone. Other than Admiral Necheyev, there wasn't... It's not like at any point did anyone on the Enterprise say, we got this report from DS9 about the Hootenanny in the Badlands. Well, they knew about the Maquis and Preemptive Strike. They did, but I'm saying, but they didn't explicitly reference the DS9 crew or any of of their work. That was my point. So the TNG episodes mostly stand alone and act as almost like a... I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess Roe and Preemptive Strike joins the Maquis. Yeah. So I have some, we, we have some things to talk about with that, uh, but specifically that. But uh, there's... What a, you mean, we? Well, I'll talk and you can, you know, make comments. I just called in. I don't know, what, did I win? Did I win the new toaster? Yes. <laughs> Fracking toasters. Anyway. Raw, no, okay. Listen, uh, our podcasts are solely going to be about star <laughs> properties, not <laughs> star properties. Okay, <laughs> let's just let's just make this clear and get that out of the way now. Okay, I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, there is another TNG episode that is tangentially related to Voyager. But it doesn't actually come in until something happened related to Preemptive Strike. So we're not going to talk about that just I also yet. didn't watch this episode uh, when I heard... I did. Right. But Thad gave me my viewing assignment. Uh, <laughs> and when he's like, well, just watch. So it started with, there are two episodes. One from TNG. One from DS9. He said two. He promised me two. He said there's two episodes. (laughs) One from TNG, one from DS9, that both tie into the beginning of Voyager. 
Then I go back to him and say, you know what? I know that you told me the names of the episodes. I didn't write it down. What are the episodes? What are the two episodes? Well, actually, it's four. Oh, really? So then it turned into four episodes. I definitely told you all four at the beginning. So then it turned into four episodes. So I'm like, okay. If these four episodes set up Voyager and we're going to do a Voyager podcast, then I'm on board. Let's watch these four episodes. And then he says, then he says to me, you know what he says to me? He says to me, he says, you know, actually, there's this fifth episode that sort of ties in to the rest of it, but not completely. And that's where I drew the line. You know what? You know, what's funny is. Having just watched all five episodes, that fifth episode that sort of ties in is the best of the five. Like, qualitatively, not, like, in relation to... That's interesting, just considering that I actually thought that the four episodes that we watched were all pretty solid. I am not a fan of Journey's End. Okay, okay. So, that sounds like a great place for us to launch talking about all of our stuff. Yeah, uh, because I had some thoughts about Journey's End as well. I felt that it was definitely the weakest of that quartet. Yeah, uh, it's interesting watching the full run, like these four episodes together. It's interesting watching them uh, through the lens of we're talking what twenty years? A little more than twenty, yeah. Because these would have all aired in ninety four. Okay, okay. So. Thad and I, as you know from our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, it's only ever been called that. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Uh, <laughs> are a couple of white guys, but we're woke-ish. Yo. You know, we've only hit snooze a couple of times, but we're, you know, getting woke, uh, as it were, as them millennial kids say. And it's very, very interesting watching these episodes through the sort of woke-ish lens that Thad and I both seem to share. Um, Journey's End, though, in particular... Yeah, Go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to say that people weren't very woke in the 90s. I would argue that Star Trek was definitely ahead of the curve. Oh, Star Trek was what passed for woke in the 90s, certainly. Um, but anyway, so Journey's End, to me... I mean, especially, you know, let, let's deal with the ugly sweatered elephant in the room, Wesley Crusher. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is like... Wasn't he just the worst oh, in no, that episode? Oh, no, he's so terrible. But like, you know what he is? He's a college sophomore. Yeah. They're all pretty terrible. Right, who has just taken their very, very, very first sociology course. <laughs> yeah. Um... So that is what kind of irked me the most about the episode was was Wesley being a college sophomore. Um, yeah, I mean the rest of it. So like Wesley was super arrogant and a know-it-all before he went to the academy, and having gone to the academy and like actually like learned stuff, it made him ten times worse. <laughs> I don't hate West Wesley is a character that a lot of people hate like despise I don't in a lot of ways I enjoy some of the Wesley episodes uh this one is not one of them my opinion of Wesley is best summed up by Picard telling him to shut up <laughs> fair just enough sort of like just like annoyed with Wesley 
yeah. yeah. That's about how it sums up. And he was just a total dick the whole episode. Yes, no, he was a terrible human being the entire episode. And I guess he was on a, you know, he was on like a journey, I hate that word, of self-discovery and all that jazz and, you know, like being a college sophomore and experimenting with drugs and learning about other cultures, etc. Even though he grew up on a starship that's entire mission was discovering mm. so this is something that um will certainly come up again when we watch voyager because it it is a thing that happened that that is dwelled on dwelled on that is discussed and happens in voyager i am not a spiritual person like at all not even slightly and I appreciate that for a lot of people, spirituality is a big deal, but I get nothing out of spirituality and I don't get anything out of watching other people experience their spirituality. So a lot of this episode is just sort of meh for me. Yeah, I can get that. No, I, I get that idea. Um, I, I would say that for me, it, Mostly was watching Will Wheaton going through it. That that is what bothered me the most. Oh yeah, well that that was even worse. Yes, that's the part that really irked me. Uh, but I, I I liked that. So okay, so here's one thing that just like annoyed me the entire episode: the mm-hmm. Indians. And we're going there. We need to get the Indians off the planet. And we're dealing with the Indians. Yep. What the heck is that? Do they? Like, yeah, this is the 90s. Native Americans was already a term that existed in the lexicon. By not the 90s. just that, but I mean, Native Americans definitely existed. But to be honest, Native Americans would have been inappropriate to say when we're talking about a colony of them on a whole different planet. Ooh, that's a good point. But how how about the tribe? Yeah, but it would have been better if they had said Native Americans and Indians. Like, yeah, but like, how about we use like? Their I tribe? have a lot of trouble believing that we refer to we refer to the people. Uh, yes, in the indigenous peoples of North America as Indians in the twenty fourth century. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I that. Because the idea of referring to the Native Americans did cross my mind, but then, like I said, it, it, we're in the future, we're on a different planet, calling them that is less incorrect than calling them Indians, but uh, what would be the most correct is finding out to which tribe they belong and referring to them by their tribe, because that is their nation. So... That is their people. Funny story about that. Is this like a fad funny story or like an actually funny story? It's a Star Trek story. Oh, okay. So like somewhere in the middle. Nice. Let's uh, go. Okay. So when... So the, these people on this planet were... It was never explicitly said on the show, but this was... This was meant to be Chakotay's home planet. I figured. Right. I mean, <laughs> obviously. Um, and... So when they did the 
Native American stuff on Star Trek for Chakotay's background and all that. They brought in a guy as an expert. Uh, Turns out the guy they brought in wasn't actually a Native American and wasn't actually an expert and was just making crap up. This is like the the kind of crap that you hear from movies from like the 30s and 40s and 50s, etc. Before we learned how books work. Um, Right. Where, yeah, they, like, bring in... Oh, my... Really? Oh, that's so gross. Yep, really. Although, you know, one thing that I, I did like, and hopefully we will um, also talk about this when we get to that similar episode on Stargate Weekly, hey, cross-posting, <laughs> is when... I can't remember the character's name. You know, I don't think they used the word Indian in that episode, but now that I've said that. <laughs> um, it, so when they're in the, 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 the whatever, the spirit journey room, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was called. I don't know either. It's been, a, I don't usually watch that episode of SG-1, so. You no, know, we're talking about TNG. We're talking, we're oh. talking about Next Generation oh, right now. Oh, you're talking, oh, did they give they it a did. name? It had. They had a whole, whole thing, and he was talking oh. about how like, we don't let outsiders in here. I've got Memory Alpha up. We'll figure it out. Strangers are not welcome here. When I asked to come here, you said that it would You're be... You're not a stranger. So, they're in the, the, the room. And Wesley tells the guy whose name I cannot recall. He's saying, how come that doll looks like a Klingon? Or figure looks like a Klingon. The Habak. Habak, thank you. Um, that explains why I wanted to call it the Hatak. Um, <laughs> that's the wrong franchise. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so he's and the the his guide, his you know his guy. Um, what's his name? The Traveler. No, well, yeah, the guy who r- later reveals himself to be the Traveler. Anthwara. Anthwara. Okay. No, the Anthwara's the guy. No, Anthwara. No, yeah, Anthwara's the, uh-huh. the leader. Right. Lakanta. Lakanta. L A K A N T A. Okay. So anyway, so Lakanta brings Wesley into the Habak, and Wes and he's explaining to him the importance of the Habak, and the figures are little statuettes. Wesley points out that one of them looks like a Klingon, and Lakanta replies back. Our culture is rooted in the past, but it's not limited to the past. Spirits of the Klingon and the Vulcan and Ferengi come to us just as the bear and the coyote, the parrot. Yeah. So whatever is relevant to the tribe, that is the form that the spirit will take in order to show the tribe the the self of the spirit, I, I guess, is, is the way to put it. Um, you know, there's the... the Classic different archetypes of the you know the trickster and the healer, etc. And so, if you're a people of the land and there is no industry of which to speak, and definitely no crazy white people coming and screwing up your stuff, then having stuff that makes takes the shape of the fox and the crow and the bear and the things that you see around you and you have a grasp on of like this is the sort of stuff that the fox gets up to this is the sort of stuff that the crow gets up to uh it makes sense that then whatever spirit 
is taking that form. But then you get a thousand years in the future, and it's the 24th century, and, well, now you have Klingons and Ferengi and Vulcans, etc. And you know what? Some of these species archetypes also align pretty well with the forms that the spirits took. So now the spirit takes the form of a Klingon, if it's, like, the warrior spirit. So that I liked a lot. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that I liked a lot. It was an interesting way of uh, showing that and... I was just recently watching the first episode of a show called Blind Spot, and there's a point where one of the characters is like looking at this file, and the file makes like the the camera shows you the number of the file at which she is looking, and then shows you again, and then shows you this other picture. So in Blind Spot, this like woman who has no memories and is covered in tattoos, uh, and shows you a picture of one of her tattoos, and then zooms in on the picture of her tattoo, and then like makes it like they just make it clear that oh look, she has a tattoo that matches the case file number on this file that this woman is looking at and it just felt so like insulting to the intelligence of the watcher whereas the like the very like quick simple explanation that lakanta gives wesley about the idea that the spirits just are the spirits come to us in the form that works it doesn't give you a full history rundown of all of that, it just, you know, expects the viewer to, to fill in the gaps with their own knowledge, and I appreciate that a lot. Hmm. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I I did, yeah. There were parts of this episode I liked. Um, I did, and I enjoyed the obvious parallels between this and what, you know, we white people did to the Native Americans, and that Picard was very troubled because of that. Yes. Uh, but just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like, I was okay with Wesley having a, like, end to his story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. The show's coming to an end. We gotta have, we gotta have closure on the Wesley story. It just, it felt like it was two things m- melded together that didn't necessarily need to be. But that was, I mean, that's Star Trek. There's always the A and the B plot. Okay. So, ultimate takeaway, because we're doing a little bit of lightning ground, because we have four, and then you have a fifth episode (laughs) to talk about. Uh, Ultimate takeaway, if you're only looking at it from these four episodes that I watched, Journey's End is the weakest of the four. Still not terrible, but... No. Just remember, they, they made this 23 years ago. And think of Wesley as a very poorly dressed college sophomore. And it's also have an adult beverage at the handy. And yeah, I think you you, you can make it through too. Yeah. And I don't know that it was, it's a hundred percent necessary. It's clearly there to set up Voyager. Like it's, it's obvious that they did this whole thing to, to set up Voyager. But that said, I think if you had to choose, the ones that you really should watch before Voyager are the, is the DS9 two-parter. Yeah, that's probably right. Which we should go to next, because it's our next one chronologically. On DS9, we have the two-parter, The Maquis, in which, well, The Maquis happen. Uh, 
I, I really like the, these these two episodes. Uh, the first two seasons of DS9 have some ups and downs, but this was definitely an up. Uh, pretty much any episode with uh, Marco Limo in it is good, because <laughs> he's just great as Ducat. And the, I, I just really enjoy these. And I like the, the intrigue, how the, they discover what's actually happening, and that it's the... The, the Federation colonists are fighting the Cardassian colonists and things are getting out of hand. And then I especially like, because it's definitely a thing for the Maquis, that a lot of a lot of the Maquis were former Starfleet officers. And I, I like how they, they actually show right here a, a Starfleet officer giving up his uniform and becoming Maquis. Yeah, I really liked uh, Quark, played by Armin Shimmerin. Shimmerman. I always like Quark. I thought that 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 was uh, really well done. His his little in tiny little bite sized arc. The appeal to logic. Yes, the appeal to logic was good. Uh, I don't. I've I've only seen DS Nine all the way through once, and so I don't know how in character it was that Quark who comes off. There's always the adage for us silly humans of that uh like war is good for business and i suppose that one mm-hmm. would expect that a business oriented species like the ferengi would have the same opinion but quark sort of seems a little there are in fact two ferengi rules of acquisition on the subject war is good for business and peace is good for business <laughs> well there you go so i guess quark just leads a little bit, little bit towards the latter rule of acquisition. And Quark actually, you know, talking about like stepping away from the stereotypical Ferengi and talking, saying something profound is not uh, out of character. He, it does happen quite a bit, actually. Okay. So yeah, I I really like this one. Um, my only my only real complaint for this as a DS Nine fan is how Odo light it is because Odo is probably one of my favorite characters in Star Trek, and he barely has a role in this. Honestly, Bashir has more of a role in this, which is weird because I it, it seemed weird that Sisko kept taking Bashir with him when he went out into the DMZ, but there whatever. could be a medical emergency. I guess. But, but yeah, I, I, I really did enjoy this. this. It does... It, this, I mean, this one really just sets up the Maquis. That's all this episode does, basically. And... The Maquis are obviously, or possibly not obvious, if there's a couple people listening who have never listened to watch Voyager and want to, like, go through it with us, which is cool. That's awesome. But I'm guessing most of you have probably watched Voyager, so you know that the Maquis are a little important in Voyager. Just a little. And then the Maquis also have a role in DS9 going on later. You, in fact, brought up a a particularly memorable Maquis episode when you were watching it to me. Yes, of course I did. You mentioned the, uh... The incident where Cisco devastates the oh, planet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Okay, so things. This is all going to blend together because part one and two, they're a continuous arc. So, oh, yeah, I treated it as one. The things that stood out to me were after. So, I guess it would be like the tail end of part one, beginning of part two, when Cisco discovers that his longtime friend Cal is. One of the leaders of the Maquis. 
And when he gets back to the station and he goes off on this crazy long rant and it's like self arguing moment. Yes. And like, like major Kier is just like standing there and she's like along for the ride. And I guess at this point, this is nothing new yeah. to her. And it's definitely going to be a recurring theme with Cisco. Not that we're going to be talking about DS nine. Cisco likes to wax phil- philosophical. It's what he does. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was very odd and stood out to me. Um, when we first meet Cal in part one and he and Cisco are talking, I just started getting these <sighs> visions the wrong way. All that was running through my head was the idea of like redlining and white flight and gentrification about all the stuff that Cal was talking about, how he was like still there with the colonists and what they were going through. And I remember reading this story about back before Central Park was Central Park. That particular part of New it was York, a black neighborhood. It was like a really uh, like close knit and established black neighborhood mm-hmm. that looked out for their own, and they were they really, really were doing well. Um, like especially given the time, because uh, we're talking what like late eighteen hundreds, yep. I guess. Um, yeah. So, and, and then the the city's just like, yeah, we want to park here because rich white people, and that w- those were the things that were running through my head when Cal and Cisco were talking for the first time, and Cal recount uh, recounting what the colonists have been going through since the Federation had sort of semi-abandoned them with the treaty. Yeah. Yeah, that parallel works, because the... Because, I mean, the Cardassians are often the stand-in for, well, uh, a lot of things, but one of the things they're a stand-in for is Nazis, so... (laughs) Well, the Nazis didn't bulldoze that black community and build Central Park. No. (laughs) But... (laughs) Uh, the Nazis did do very similar things to ethnic communities. That's very true. Ugh, white people, we're just the worst. We're not very good, that's for sure. We're not very good. So, let me talk about the three runabouts. Okay. It's the, what are their names? The Orinoco, the Yangtze King, and the, or Yangtze Kiang, and the Ganges. Okay, so they're after rivers, right. Or, actually, now I don't know if that's what they were. Was one the Rio Grande? Rio Grande might be one of them. Yangtze was one. Mekong? Maybe? Okay, there's... DS9 actually has quite a few, and they're all named after rivers. Okay. So that's why I'm getting trouble. I, 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 I don't remember exactly which ones were in that episode, now that I think about that's it. That's fine. It doesn't matter. So anyway, so the, that was the part that I couldn't remember all their names... I was going to touch on the theme of them. Like, I picked up that there was a theme, but I couldn't... But we got there. It's Rivers. Anyway. So, when they're going after the two Maki ships, which are the Federation fighters, which we basically only see a little bit in TNG and a lot of bit in DS9, because DS9 is just, like, always in a war. Uh, Peregrine class. Okay, thank you. And... Mm-hmm. So anyway, so so they're squaring off, and the three runabouts are just like sitting there, and they're really close together. They're like 
like 20 meters apart or something and it's like just yeah yeah we're here just in like the vast width of space sitting parked super close together this is going to stop you oh no they're changing course you don't say also there's the simple fact that the runabouts are not fighters they have phasers but they're they are not warships and those peregrine class ships are in fact fighters they are actually designed for that right so it was never going to work anyway man it's a real shame that cisco didn't have available to him a special class of federation ship that had been designed from the ground up to be a warship one that he had in fact designed when he worked at the Utopia Planitia Yards at Mars. Yeah. That must that that must have been a too far fetched. It's a shame he idea. didn't have that. You yeah. Know, it it defies all reason that such a thing would come about. It does, in fact. Yeah. <clears throat> so talking some more about the Maquis two parter. What's the classic Cardassian drink called? Because it oozes like ooze. It oozes like ooze in this episode. Uh, Canar. Okay. And um, it has been various colors and viscosity throughout the show. So remember how I have, from time to time, made the point that Star Trek is less respectful of its own canon than, say, some <laughs> other star properties that I could name? Hey, well, no, if you think about... Think about beer, for instance. Beer runs the gambit, or gamut, gamut, on different colors, and even different thicknesses. I mean, a stout is considerably thicker than uh, an ale. Yes, but the gamut of viscosity for beer, or for wine, or for vodka, or for any given class of beverage, does not range from water to really thick syrup. Okay, but that doesn't mean that some other kind of alien drink might not have that range. Then they should give it different names. I acknowledge that Star Trek is not always great with its own canon, but I don't think this is a, this is a hill you need to die on. No. But it's one of the many upon which I'll set appropriately sized flags given the size of the hill. <laughs> this one gets a very small flag. Right. Like so, my like what like the size that one might pull out of like a burger at a fancy-ish restaurant. Do you have a flag? <laughs> All right. So when um at the end of uh, at so at the end of the first part, it's when Cow and his Maquis ambush them in the jungle. Yes. That jungle being a classic uh, '80s '90s Star Trek set that is used over and over again. I'll take your word for it. And then part two opens up right where they left off in the jungle and cow just when they talk about cisco talks about him you know what the uniform stands for cow just like reaches back and hands it over why did he have his uniform just like there with him in the jungle Hmm. right because it's not like they ambushed them and then took them back to their local small like, campsite or gathering place and to, like, Cal's No, hut. they're just, like, walking along in the jungle when it happens. Yeah. They don't even have any fun and games in this jungle. They don't no. have anything I want. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed weird that he had the, the uniform there. It also seemed weird later that Cisco had the uniform in a bag. And not just wadded up in his hand? Yeah. 
or folded in this hand. Cisco, unlike some other people I could mention, respects the uniform. Hmm. All right. Talk about Cal. Yeah, I, I figured. Because Cal took it off and he's like threw it away and he's like, I'm done with this thing. He doesn't respect it. Yeah, and this uh this comes up again in uh in the episode for the uniform where Cisco goes after another another uh, person who has betrayed his uniform. But anyway, this is not this is not the, you know, DS9 weekly or I guess we would just call it the defiant. Uh I don't know, but I I'm not ready to do three podcasts a week. Nor am I, but maybe each season would be named after a Ooh, different runabout. I like it. It's probably something that no one no one else has done either. Ooh. So in a few years when we finish Voyager <laughs> Actually Actually no, in a few years when we finish Voyager we should do Enterprise. Oh, but I like the idea of us like exclusively talking about twenty year old sci fi properties. <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright. Anyway, so what else did you want to talk about? I'm just thinking Enterprise, the entire run of Enterprise is inside the Stargate run, just so okay. you know. Oh, how about the that guy? Uh, who in, uh, he was the, the colony leader, who was also one of the Maquis cell leaders. Oh, yeah, totally yeah, a that You know guy. what he is? You know who he is? He is Secretary of State. On the West Wing. Yes, he is. Well, okay, I'm not sure if he's Secretary of State. He might be, like, one of the... He's on the West Wing. I Yeah, you're right. He's a recurring character on the West Wing. I don't know if he's Secretary of State, or if he is uh, just, like, on, like, the South American desk. Like, a, like a Deputy Secretary of State, I guess, uh, would be the title. Um, but for South America, because anytime they have some sort of, you know, terrorist scuffle in, like, the Darien or Venezuela or something, he's always there. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. Tell- and yeah, he's telling Leo that he wants Leo to meet a good friend of his from out of town. Do you ever pick up on that running gag? Gag's wrong word. No, I didn't. When when a West Wing character would tell another West Wing character, I'd like you to meet an old friend of mine from out of town. No, I didn't. It means that I have something secret and confidential and critically important that I need to tell you right now, but obviously we're in the middle of a big crowded room of people. No, I don't think I ever noticed... I don't think that's something that's ever, like, stuck in my head afterwards, but I think I... I feel like that's something I probably would have figured out, like, from context in that exact instance. I don't think I ever noticed it was a repeated thing. It was a repeated thing. The episode where Charlie... Um... Charlie's going through his school admittance uh, forms, and he's talking a lot about... He's, like, going through each form and how ridiculous they are, because all of them are multiple pages, and he, like, doesn't need most of them. Like, one of them is, you know, a three-page form for housing, and I'm not using their housing. A four-page form regarding medical conditions and clearance. Margaret, get Leo for me. He's busy in a meeting. Tell him it's a friend from out of town. Are you sure? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Because he just realized that in the course of filling out the Georgetown admittance forms, they would have either had to divulge or lie about the president's MS. Right. Because Dulé Hill. Okay. Yeah. Uh, while I have seen Star Trek over and over and over again, I have seen the West Wing a couple times. You have seen the West Wing over <laughs> and over and over. <laughs> I've seen Star Trek once. <laughs> Right. So, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to cover with the Maquis? Uh, nothing that really, 
uh, stuck out to me other than you know, the little fighters. They were kind of weird. The only thing that stuck out to me was just the idea that they pretty much only ever showed up in a little bit of TNG, but a lot of DS9. Like, we never see them in anything else ever. I also, off the top of my head, like, I didn't actually look this up to be sure, but the fighters looked very similar to the Maquis ship from Voyager as well. But obviously that must have been bigger. I mean, I guess. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Oh, uh, the one thing, the other recurring character in these episodes, other than the Cheyev, is the Cardassian, Golovek. Yes. Because he was, because he's, he was in both TNG episodes, and at least in Maki Part 1, I don't know if he was in Part 2, uh, he's also in the, well, in the episode we'll be watching next week for Delta Flyer, the, the first episode of Voyager. What about uh, Leggett Chicken Parn? Is he recurring? He might show up again in DS9. I can't remember off the top of my head. Fair enough. Interestingly enough, Avec shows up again and again, like at this particular time on in TNG, DS9, and Voyager, and then he never shows up again. DS9 goes on to have five more seasons, plenty of with lots of dealings with the Cardassians, <laughs> and Avec never shows up again. Wow. Okay. Uh, no, I don't have anything else to talk about with the Maquis two parter. Yeah, I feel like we we talk a lot more when we have things we hate, like some of the Wesley stuff in the last one. I I would say that we spend it roughly equal time on this two part as we did on Journey's End, and that seems fair. Yeah. Since the two part is a continuous story, it is a two parter. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so the next one is Preemptive Strike, which is the TNG episode where. Uh, Ensign Rowe comes back as a promoted lieutenant and is sent off on a mission to infiltrate the Maquis. So here's something that I didn't care for. Mm -hmm. What was preemptive? The Maquis were already doing their business and causing a ruckus. It's not like they were... What was preemptive? Ooh, that's a good point. Nothing. Nothing was preemptive. I I mean, I... I didn't give it a whole lot of thought as it was happening, but just like, just now, as you said it, I was thinking about the title of the episode. and it, like, I, I hadn't thought about it at all until now. I don't think they were preempting anything. Uh, they're like, maybe the... the were, was this like a weird... Like one of those weird tropes you see all the time where it's, no, 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 the only way to avoid a war is for me to kick off a small war right now. Yeah, it's very Ender's Game where it's like I'm good. Or uh, oh, what's that called? What's the what's the um firefighting? Term? Oh, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, no, there is the uh, yeah where they, they they set like the the small controlled blaze. Yeah, but there's like a special term. There for is. It. Um, I started to say backfire, but that's no, not no, that's it. not it. Uh, a fire break? It's called a fire break. Yeah, it is. It is called a fire break. Cool. No, fire break is when there's um, it's not a fire break is when you have an area of dead. Yeah, no, that is what it is. Yeah, because you have a controlled fire to to kill off all the vegetation in an area so that the fire has nothing to burn when it gets okay. there. Okay. So yeah, that is it's fire break. So uh. I'm going to talk about the one thing that I mentioned earlier now. Uh, this episode was supposed to be even more Voyager set up than it ended up being. 
because they wanted to they wanted to cast Michelle Forbes on Voyager, but she didn't want to commit to a series. Michelle Forbes being Roe. Yes. They wanted to bring Roe's character onto so, Voyager. Gosh, as who? Well, she was the helmsman on TNG. But then we... Or helmswoman. But then we wouldn't have had... Yes, that's correct. But, no, we need seven years. I've forgotten every name. Harry Kemp. Tom we Paris. Need, we needed... Oh, you're right, because, yeah, Tom Paris. Uh, yeah, well, Ensign Rowe. I'm thinking Harry Kemp and his seven years of ensigning. But where are you? Well, she's a lieutenant. It doesn't matter. She was an ensign in every other episode. Of she, that's why. Yeah. I, but yeah, no, she would. Uh, and in fact, if you think about it, uh, ex- how the Paris story starts would have been the same with Roe. Janeway would have gone and recruited her out of a Federation prison yeah. to help hunt down the Maquis. Uh, yeah, but I I suppose that that would have made it more like a Maquis show than it already kind of was. Because then you, because yeah. you would have had Torres, Anchicote, and Roe, all former Maquis. Well, that's, I mean... Paris was ish. former Maquis-ish. I mean, he was more Maquis than Tuvok. He was captured on his first, yeah. But an argument yeah. could be made that maybe Tuvok was more than Paris. Tuvok probably went on more Maquis Man, missions. I bet I bet Tuvok uh you know started off some serious ruckus as a, as a fake Maquis, just all in the name of maintaining his cover. Okay, so a fake Maquis would be a mock key. It only works written out. But... Oh man, that's good. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Well done. So anyway. Uh, in this episode, we get more, you know, of the standard, you know, of the humanization mm-hmm. of the Maquis. Because as Roe comes to be swayed by them, we, the audience, are also to be swayed. And I really, I really like how this ep- this episode ends with just the look of, just the silent look of just fury and disappointment on Picard's face. Yeah, I didn't like the... 32 seconds before that where Riker comes in still done up in his undercover clothes and hair like there was nothing that he needed to do that required such urgency that he couldn't have taken 15 minutes to grab a shower and change Eh. I like how Riker starts to get the report normally and then just realizes that Picard is not in the mood and just yes because I mean, Picard felt this as a you know a deep betrayal because Roe was his protege mm-hmm. basically he had brought her you know had yeah well I don't need to explain more he was she was his protege and yeah he he was betrayed and he was angry and he was disappointed and I thought oh, and Patrick Stewart being the very good actor that he was just did that perfectly without showing without saying a word well because Patrick Stewart is an international treasure. <laughs> Surprise! <gasps> so yeah, uh, that was that was. I I really I did enjoy the episode. Uh, I I enjoy Roe. I also enjoy uh, Michelle Forbes, the actress. Uh, she was also on that franchise that you don't want me to talk about on this episode on this show. Apparently, uh, no. She was 
she was Admiral Kane of the Pegasus, of the Battlestar Pegasus. On... She's keep talking about it. That's all right. Yes. Anyway. Honestly, I, I, I mostly, I don't think I've seen anything after season two of Battlestar Galactica. Mm. And that works pretty well if I'm talking about either the original or the remake, since I don't think the original went past a second season. I don't think the original went past the first season. I thought it had two. If only because I, I could have sworn... It technically has two if you count the aborted, uh... If you count, count the aborted reboot uh, sequel series that had, like, four episodes after they got to Earth. So there was Galactica 1980, which was... Um, no, I could have sworn that I just saw recently that it was, like, the original Battlestar on Blu-ray on sale and both seasons, something like that. Uh, but I wouldn't have paid that close of attention because... Maybe it was... I didn't care enough. It's not important. But... That that Blu-ray may have also included the like the four three or four episodes of Galactica nineteen eighty and called that a season. Whatever. Anyway, uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it, it did do a good job showing us the Maquis. And yeah, if Roe had actually been on Voyager, it definitely would have been much more of a Voyager setup episode. As it was, since Roe did not want to be on Voyager, mm-hmm. they had to come up with another character. So they actually went back in time to a season five episode. Yes. And grabbed another character. Uh, So here's where we talk about the first duty, which is another Wesley episode. Okay. And this is the one where Wesley and his flight team of the Academy uh, are accidentally kill one of their team members when they're doing a stunt that is illegal but they wanted to show off I'm, and then they lie about it and get caught. I remember this episode. I've seen this episode. So, the leader of that flight team was played by Robert Duncan McNeil. Okay. The character's name was Nick Locarno. But they took this story and that character and changed the name, basically, and turned him into Tom Paris. Okay, so why didn't they have the character be called Nick Locarno on Voyager? If they're using the story Officially, again, there is no reason. And the same actor. Official, officially, no one... There, there has never been an official reason given. It is suspected that they didn't want to pay royal... Apparently, if they had used the name, they would have had to pay royalties to the writer of the TNG episode. Wait. Seriously? Okay. See, up until you said writer, and you were just talking about like the royalties, I'm like, they would have had to pay royalties to themselves, the owners of both franchises? I mean, I realize that Hollywood accounting uh, that's is the speculation, weird, but that. this is like a whole new level of weird. Paying royalties to the writers makes more sense. Because that is basically... Because in the first episode of Voyager, when Paris recounts what happened after Kim hears all the stories and asks him about it, he says he it was a, there was a a piloting accident and that he lied about it and got in trouble and got kicked out of Starfleet. Now, to be fair, it's not mm-hmm. an original story. No. It's, I certainly get the feeling that for anybody who wants to go out into space, the final frontier, and make their living out there, they either join like a merchant fleet 
or something. I guess we that gets talked about on Enterprise, but then really doesn't in the other shows. Uh, or they join Starfleet, and if you're some hot shot, arrogant guy who wants to be a pilot and a helmsman and the fly the ships and not just fiddle with warp coils and induction timers and polarity reversers, etc then at some point you're going to be stupid because everyone there is 19 years old. So, yeah. yeah, I bet every year they have three different kids who pulled a stupid stunt, lied about it, and got kicked out of the academy. Yeah, and if it had been a different actor... Yeah, you would have... If it had been a different actor, sure, but when it's the same actor... <laughs> right. But anyway, so that that's why I said that one was kind of related. Okay, okay. Well, then I'm kind of glad I skipped it, especially if it's a Wesley-heavy episode. It's a good Wesley-heavy episode, though. I'm not going to make you rewatch TNG. Although... In fact, watch for the first time, because I'm pretty sure uh, you, the first time you watched it, you didn't even watch the first two seasons. Someone, I don't mention any names, but their initials rhyme with John Thaddeus Hate recommended to me that I skip those. Uh, I told you that a lot of people do, but I don't. Recommended to me, you see. Um, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, looking at just those the four episodes that I watched, well, we watched, but then you went on mm-hmm. and watched this other one, uh, looking at just those four episodes, it, indeed, Looking at just those four episodes in isolation, um, I was struck by just how great Star Trek was back then. Mm-hmm. Also, and I I remember mentioning this to you, man, TNG had a great theme. You oh, know what I actually so consider the best good. version of the TNG theme? What? It's the... It's when it was used uh, because actually the TNG theme was originally used as the theme to Star Trek the Motion Picture, and it it was an orchestral version on that, and that sounds good. But it was even better when they reused it in the worst Star Trek movie, Star Trek Five. Okay, interesting. Huh? Yeah. But a solid, solid theme. Well, but it's not just the it's not just the music of it. It's I mean, Patrick Stewart doing the the voiceover. It's the Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. takes it next level, but it, yeah. What do you think it would have been if Kate Mulgrew did a voiceover at the beginning of Voyage? Hmm. See, the problem that that there would be with that is it would be way too close to... I can't cite any specific example right now, but there's a handful of sci-fi shows that do... The voiceover's not part of the theme but like every third episode begins with I'm the main character. I'm going to tell you the plot of the story, even though we're four seasons in right now. Mm -hmm. And it's something to the effect of, you know, I'm Bob Bobson and I was just an ordinary kid, but then a chemical truck exploded inside my ear. And now all of a sudden I can control marsupials with my fingertips. The example that's coming to my head immediately... (laughs) The example that's coming to my head immediately is Castle. 
Yeah, like, yeah, but basically, it's like this thing where, like, and that's where I could see, especially given the time that Voyager came out, uh, that's where I could see a, a, you know, a Janeway, Kate Mulgrew voiceover going, is, you know, these are the journeys of the Starship Voyager, except, no, never mind, we got booted to the frickin' Delta Quadrant, and now we're just trying to get home, and everything's terrible, and the year of hell, and blah, Photon torpedoes, full spread. Use like hundreds more torpedoes so than you actually have. But that, but see, that's why I'm pretty glad that Voyager didn't have a voiceover. Is for that reason. Given the time that the show came out and that kind of like voiceover conceit, that's how I can see it going. Is it starts off sounding like DS Nine would have done the same thing, right? Too. It starts off sounding like a TNG voiceover, and then. They have to, you know, like, and then uh, uh, record scratch. Uh, but actually, what happened was you're probably wondering how this happened, right? Well, see, the caretaker beamed us across the galaxy. That said, I would have taken a theme with a voiceover for Enterprise. Oh, god, <laughs> why do you do these things? Why do you, why do you bring up these, these hateful, hurtful things? Don't you have faith in the heart? I don't. I don't have faith in the heart. <laughs> Jesus. I'm glad that Discovery has an instrumental theme. I like Discovery's theme. Ooh, I do too. I really enjoy it. I like the whole the whole thing with like the the drawings yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's just great. I don't like Orville's theme. No, I don't like the design of the Orville either. Like the ship design. It's weird. I give it that, but I definitely appreciate that they were actively going for something that's not been done. It does kind of, it does look a little bit like uh, um, the Andromeda, actually. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. It does a little. Andromeda's more, you know, swoopy. Yeah. But I had forgotten all about Andromeda, but outside of that, so many... Uh, sci-fi properties go yeah. for the like big ship and then the two outboard engines and all that jazz. So I appreciate them doing something new, something different with the ship design. It's not, yeah, I, I mean, eh, it's fine. Uh, but I, I appreciate the direction they went with it, and I also appreciate that they are internally consistent with the other human yeah. ships. So I like that a lot. I, I like that the various alien races have are internally consistent. I like the costumes on the Orville as well. Yeah, I like the Orville. I, I need to catch back up. I'm a few episodes, mm-hmm. I'm like three or four episodes behind, but I'm liking it a lot. Um, yeah, it, it definitely has a very strong TNG vibe to it, which is what Seth MacFarlane was yeah. going for. But yeah, no, I enjoy that. Uh, so. I think we've more or less covered everything we can cover in this episode of Delta Flyer. No, I I think so as well. We covered some things that didn't need to be covered, but darn it, that's who we are. We're going to cover them anyway. Yeah, and if you think there's something we didn't cover that you wish we had, feel free to let us know. Stuart, how can our devoted fans interact with us? They're so devoted. They should already know, but if they don't... Well, they can find me on Twitter. I'm Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Tyrannicus. You can find the show on Twitter, Delta Flyer Pod. 
You can email us, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. We're, we also have deltaflyerpod.com. On Facebook, we are just simply Delta Flyer Podcast. See, what's interesting is, up until this point, I had been saying pod, and then you say simply podcast, and I feel like... <laughs> Not only is one of these things not like the other, one of these things is more simple than the other. Oh, we are also at Delta Flyer Pod on Facebook if you need to, for mentioning purposes. Like if you, so that that's where it gets. No, 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 just just tweet at us. It's what the kids are doing these days, or so I'm told. Yeah, uh, when it, when you get down to it, Facebook is actually not the best option because. Uh, even if you do like us, uh, you won't see our posts in your newsfeed unless we pay for you to see your po- our posts in your newsfeed, and we aren't planning to do that. Are you serious? Yep. No, listen. Follow us on Twitter. It's where it's all happening. We're not on the gram, <laughs> but that's because it like isn't that all pictures there on on that? So, like I don't know what what would we yes, do. Yes, it is in fact all pictures for that on this. Anyway, follow us on Twitter. That's all that matters. Just follow us on Twitter. Since we are doing a 90s show, though, we should set up an Angel Fire site. Ooh. Man, I love where your head's at. So, just just do it. Just follow (laughs) us on Twitter. Tweet at us. We'll tweet back because we love you. And... Yeah, we love fan engagement. And, you know, tune in download i keep saying tune in on like all of our shows you're not the only one who like actual podcasters do too so what do you mean fun. actual podcasters <laughs> all right like people that have more than 50 listeners fine anyway like favorite subscribe comment rate us follow us on twitter follow us on your podcast player yeah. podcast player of choice this has been the introductory of episode of Delta yes. Flyer. There's so much more of this to come. Yeah, in fact, next week, we're actually going to talk about Star Trek Voyager on our Star Trek Voyager podcast. Man, how great would it be if we had a Star Trek Voyager podcast where we only ever, like, tangentially talked about Star Trek Voyager? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've had a few episodes of Stargate. Like <laughs> but... No, because we're always off, ta- like off of the episode on tangents in Stargate Weekly. In this case, no, 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 no. Talking about Voyager would be the tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but ostensibly, we're a Voyager. Anyway, next week we'll be talking about Caretaker, the premiere episode of Voyager.